anger, bicycling, cigars, bananas, ammo, how to inhale, all this and more in this remarkable episode of the podcast. And stick to the end for special bonus content. The Remarkable People Podcast. Check it out. remarkable people podcast listen do repeat for life hello friends welcome to this week's episode of the remarkable people podcast the Bo Bissett story this week you're going to hear about how Bo from a young child had a brother and immediately felt animosity and jealousy then you're going to see the impact that a divorce had on him and how he had no idea consciously of what was going on. But the combination of so many things in his young life led him to rebellion, alcoholism, and drug use. Then when he gets into college, his career, and then all the way through a couple of years ago, how this all played out and just destroyed his life from self-sabotage because he didn't feel self-worth. So this is going to be an entertaining episode. You're going to get to hear Bo's story. We're going to go through it chronologically. But remember, stick through the whole thing because there's hidden gold nuggets all along the way. And hopefully all of us can connect with something apply it to our lives and grow and become better people from it. So Bo's story is a remarkable journey. He's going to talk about how he even stumbled on greatness in cycling to help him come out of the funk. And then he talks about how he found Amo. And you're going to learn what that is. And you're going to learn some of the techniques and things Bo used to not only heal himself, but how he's helping others now heal as well. So I'm David Pasqualone. I'm so thankful you're here. This is the Boba Set story, and I hope you love it. And you not only listen to this great episode, but like our slogan says, you do it, you repeat the good things each day so you can have a great life in this world and an eternity to come. So at this time, let's hang out with our friend, Boba Set. Hey, brother. How are you today, Bo? I'm great. How are you doing, Dave? Man, I'm fantastic. I love to hear it. Yeah, we we're just telling our listeners just a little bit about you and your remarkable story. So at this time, we're just going to jump in and we're going to go chronologically through your life from where was Bo born? What was your upbringing like? And then just work mm -hmm. step by step through whatever you feel like sharing that's relevant to yeah. who God made you the man today. And then we're going to transition to the end where's Bo going so now that you helped us how can we help you sound good right, right. yeah it sounds great man and first of all before we get started I just want to thank you for sharing your platform with me it's, I'm very very grateful so thanks Dave oh man no problem we our community is fantastic so if you're listening you know how it works there'll be links to everything Bo and I talk about in the show notes but reach out to Bo connect with him and at the end we'll give you all of his contact information and then more than anything don't just listen to what Bo tells you today, but do the good stuff, repeat it each day so you can have a great life in this world and more importantly, an eternity to come. So Bo, at this time, brother, let's hear your story. 
<laughs> uh, let's see. Well, was, uh, I was I grew up in a small town in North Carolina, on the coast, a little town called New Bern. It was uh, actually it was the first the first capital of North Carolina before they they moved it to Raleigh. But yeah, I grew up. I mean, I grew up as a, a upper middle class white kid in a small town in North Carolina. Right. I mean, mom and dad were you know normal people. My dad was a, a finance guy. My mom was a what, what do you call it. A house mom or housewife or what you want to call it and yeah i was pretty I, I thought i was pretty normal i don't know i'm definitely looking back at myself now and i'm like I, well, i'm not normal but who is right that's right so, man um, normal is there's a standard of you know basic fundamental humanity but yeah exactly that is just custom god made exactly <laughs> no it's not so great but yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I grew up a normal kid and my parents, I think the big thing, I had a lot of anger when I was a kid and I realized after doing the work, learning the work that I do now that, and uncovering the emotional trauma that I, uh, that I programmed or that my subconscious programmed, that I had a problem when my second, when my brother was born. So I was the firstborn, he was the secondborn. And I felt like like he stole my thunder, right? Or not stole my thunder, but basically he stole the attention away from me, right? And after that, I started feeling worthless. Like I wasn't like I wasn't enough. And like I was trying to always trying to please my parents. And that was yeah, that set up a lot of a lot of feelings of being worthless and not being enough. And which later translated into you know some of the other stuff that I did but at 12 around 12 my parents divorced and that again I've learned that when my parents divorced they sat my brother and I down in the house in their bedroom and they told us you know mom and I we your mom and I love each other but I was like oh shit what's what's going on now so then they told us they were getting divorced I stood up ran out of the room, out of the house and into the woods and, you know, stayed there the rest of the day. Right. And that set off my pattern of, of running. So now, it was we, just, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I'm saying we stop along the way during the podcast. Mm-hmm. That way we try to unpack as much as we can. Cause myself yeah, yeah. And listeners, it helps us connect and understand. Yeah, of course. More. So up until that point where your parents called you in the bedroom did they argue in front of you? Did they, was it? A nah, it was normal. Like I they, it was like, well, that wasn't normal, but they were, they were cordial with each other, but they never showed any love. Like I never saw my parents kiss or maybe hug, but I don't, I don't even remember that. So it was very, yeah, they were not, not a very loving, loving parents, but I didn't, I just thought it was normal. Right. I thought it was just, yeah, at that That'd point, be- that was your only frame of reference. So that was what yeah. you thought the model mm-hmm. of normal was. Yeah, and I was like, and even, I mean, today and looking back, like I never, I don't have anything to blame my parents on. They were doing the best they could. And so, you know, I think we, yeah, but that was my reaction. My reaction to their, you know, us, them telling us that they were getting divorced. I ran out and that, that was my pattern. That was my reaction that set up instances further on in life that I would, that would recreate, you know, when I felt anxious, when I felt angry, when I felt uncomfortable, I would just run. And most people, you know, most people, you know, run from a job or like I got to the point where I was running country. I was leaving, I was leaving countries and move, moving to other countries. 
We'll get there. Just keep telling your story. You're 12 uh, years old and you run out in the woods and keep yeah, going. Yeah, run out. I came back. Yeah, I came back that night because I, I mean, I'm 12 and like I didn't like I'm 12 and I don't know where else I was supposed to go. Right. So I got hungry and I went home and then, yeah, I just dealt with it. In my teens, I've really got into drugs and alcohol. Really heavy. I got in trouble when I was a teenager. I got into, yeah, some legal trouble. And then, yeah, when I was 19, my first, my first year in university, I wrecked my car. I was, I was, thankfully, I was the only person in the car, but I was drunk driving. And I you know, was going 100 miles an hour, ran off the road, flipped the car, crashed through a telephone pole. And on the way to the hospital, I had a near-death experience when my grandfather, dead grandfather, showed up and told me it wasn't my time that, you know, I needed to go back. Two years later, I did the same thing. I was drunk. I was skateboarding home after after a fraternity party. Got hit by a car. Almost lost my right leg. And then, let's see, I graduated. Finally, got out of school with with most of my body, you know, pieced together. Yeah. And and then, yeah, and then and then I fell in love with a reignited my love affair with cocaine. And at that point, I was like, I just because I was making some pretty good money, and I was like, all right, twice I've put my parents through like, you know, more actually more than twice, two really big times with both those accidents. I put them through the, you know, me and my drinking issues, and I was like, dude, like now I'm all coked up, and like I can't tell them, man, I cannot tell them. So I basically I gave everything away. I bought a ticket to a one way ticket to Europe, and. On the way to the airport, bro- gave my brother the keys, and I was like, "This is your car, man. Do whatever you want with it. I'm out of here." And yeah, I just took off. So when you were a teenager, mm-hmm. you said you were angry, and you started medicating with drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Is that when you started experimenting with cocaine too, or was that when you got? No, old? no, no, no. That wasn't until no. That was like uh, cocaine wasn't until uh, university. Okay, so, and then when uh, you were messing around with drugs and rebellion, and as a teenager. Did you realize at that point, what were you thinking you were doing and why? Like, what was your thought process? Do you remember back then? I was just, I know now that I was just trying to, like, I was just, I was self-sabotaging. Like, I was punishing myself, right? I didn't think I was good enough. So I was using alcohol. I was using everything I could get my hands on to, to punish myself, to just to, to hurt myself. And I think at that age, I don't know really how, like how I felt about it. I do real, I do remember being real. What's the word I'm looking for? Rebellious, but not rebellious. Like kind of like screw you, I guess, you know, is the best way. I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but yeah, it's basically like, you know, the finger to the world, like, you know, screw everybody. I don't care. I'll do whatever I want. So, so now did your parents or friends try to intervene or were they like that? Yeah, just my parents, yeah, both my parents did. And like I was always like I mean, I was always in trouble. They were always trying to ground me, but it never worked. I would sneak out and you know, but I then I did get in some legal trouble and I was on I was in probation for two years, so I couldn't, you know, there's and my in the my junior and senior year, like I couldn't participate in a lot of the stuff that my friends were doing and i was just like yeah, it was it was 
it was a pretty bad. Uh, but I mean, I, I never went to prison, so that was good. But yeah, now was, when this uh, was going on, though, and you see it escalating, were there any signs to you back then, like, man, I need to get some help, or was it just fuck the world? And yeah, pretty much. Yeah, screw the world. That's basically what it was like. I didn't like. I didn't care. And now I'm like, now, no, I'm looking at, you know, the people that I knew, you know, they were along the same path or, you know, you see people in the news and, you know, well, you know, why is that person doing this and that? You know, it's just, man, it's, it's, it's our emotional stuff that we're hanging on to. Right. And it's like, you know, a lot of us are moving and, you know, are, are operating in a, on a, a system that we've, that we've programmed ourselves that is like this making us do these, you know, these behaviors. Right. And, and a lot of us, you know, unconscious. Right. So it's like, you know, the person that drinks himself, uh, you know, stupid every night, you know, do they really want to be doing that? No, you know, but it's a tool they use to, you know, to self-sabotage, to punish themselves, to, you know, escape, you know, so, or the same with food. Right. A lot of people, you know, there's, a lot of people with food addiction is the same thing, right? You know, it's not, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't gain a hundred pounds because they want to be, you know, you know, fat and, you know, overweight and unhealthy. You know, they, they're just using that as, as a way to, to escape, a way to punish themselves. So, yeah. So now did you, you when you got, when you got, you don't have to go into details, you can, but it, when you uh, got arrested and you got in trouble, mm-hmm. was there a point? where you thought to yourself like man i'm out of control or was it man these people it's their fault what kind of attitude were you more on the a moment of realization or more of the narcissist no i had i had some i did have some moments of realization but i was still like i kind of felt like as far as like you know the stuff that i did like i, I i'd stolen some stuff as a teenager and so that was I mean, I realized like, oh, man, I was just, that was so stupid. But as far as like people telling me what I can do, like I hated, I hated that, right? I hated the, you know, oh, you know, you have to take drug tests and you have to, you, you're not allowed to have alcohol in your system or anything. I mean, I was, I was a teenager anyway. So, I mean, you're not supposed to be drinking, you know, in America below 21 anyway, but you know, but the thing is like, you know, my, my friends were doing that and I was being told that I couldn't. And I'm like, yeah, that was that really uh, I hated that so then you go to university Mm -hmm. and you get you know like you said you're making some good money you're in university you end up no I had yeah after university I started making good money because I I graduated but in university no I was uh, my dad was sorting me out in university and I was typical well not typical I was a college kid and I was uh, a joint attorney I was you know I I did have a job I was for, I had a few different jobs in university, but yeah, I was just, you know, it was like minimum wage stuff, right? Just in, you know, part-time hours here and there. But yeah, yeah, I was partying like a, yeah, just a monster, man. And, and the way, the way that I drank, like I, I blacked out pretty much every time I drank. Now, what did you major in in college? I finally, I finally ended up majoring in communications. So that was, uh, I found out that was the easiest, the easiest degree you could get. So I tried business, math wasn't my forte. So yeah, I 
I chose, I finally, my dad was like, dude, just like pick something, man. Cause I went from like psychology to business to hotel restaurant management. I think I changed majors like four or five times. And he's like, just, he's like, it does not matter. He's like, if you're not going, like, if you don't know your path right now, just get a degree and get out. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. That's good advice. I mean, one of the top skills at college is just finishing what you start. Yeah, exactly. It really is. It's unless you're going to be like, specifically an engineer or mm-hmm. uh, something in the medical field mm-hmm. all the other i mean you can go to youtube these days and learn it right now colleges to how can i find information and how exactly can I finish what i start yeah um, i think i don't there, i think there will be a time in the future where i don't know colleges per se will be like obsolete but like i mean yeah like you said i mean we can learn pretty much most of the stuff that we you know, a lot of the stuff that I've learned, you know, in healing and taking care of myself has like been, you know, online or through books, right? Not in a university, any other institution. So, yeah. I yeah, mean, I, mean I, I don't want to lose, I don't want to piss people off, but from what <laughs> yeah. I've seen in 45 years of life, you got like government is the least efficient and then uh-huh. the educational system is next. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. What's sad is we're spending obscene amounts of money. Mm-hmm. go to colleges and universities around the world mm-hmm. and most of them are just pumping out liberal mindless mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. who really just party stick to an agenda and walk mm-hmm. out with no skills now there's some hard-working people they mm-hmm. learn yeah. there's, some, there's some great teachers and professors i taught at a college for three years so mm-hmm. i'm not against formal education i'm just saying yeah, most, yeah. most programs as a whole it seems are really a waste of time. Nah, I I completely agree with you. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you, if, if you've got the mindset that like, you know, you, you know, you, you're going to, you're going to make it, you're going to do it. Like, you know, if you're a self-starter, like, I think like colleges would be a waste of time for you. Like you, you can, you can do it on your own today, like easier than any other time in history. So, anyway. so go back to the cocaine because there's a difference between, you know, partying and jumping up to that level. Mm-hmm. What was your first time doing coke? Like, was that at a party? Did a girl kind of coax you into it? Like, how did? No, nah, it was uh, it was just friends, like you know, fraternity and you know the whole party, like the party culture that I was in. I mean, fraternity life was for me like when I found the fraternity, it was like. It was like Animal House, you know, it was just like, you know, it was the, the, the friends, but then it was also like, you know, just the camaraderie and like, yeah, the partying. It was just, it was amazing. Like, and, you know, the, the guys, the, the fraternity I was in were big, you know, they were big into sports too. So it was sports and party and girls. And it was just like, yeah, it was awesome. So that seemed back then, like it was great, but where did that bring you in life? Yeah. You know, I have some, honestly, you know, if I had, if I had used that, the fraternity as, as if I had used it as well as it, I could have used it, then, you know, the friends that I made and like, you know, the connections that I, I could have established, you know, because the fraternity itself is an organization, right? And there, you know, there's a president, there's a vice president, there's a I mean, I was a social chair for a while. And so, you know, if you get inside of that organization, then you can learn skills inside of that organization that transfer later on in life. Right. You know, but a lot of people squander. And I was, you know, I did. I squandered that opportunity to to use it to as a 
you know, what it was there for. And I, I saw more of the surface level, like partying and, you know, the, you know, all the great things that go along with that. And then when you got out of college now, mm-hmm. you're, you're in alcohol, drugs, you're medicating your pain. You're still mm-hmm. not realizing you have serious issues you need to face. Mm-hmm. So what does that job look like right out of college? And were you able to maintain it? Were you functional? Was it a disaster? Yeah, it was definitely functional. Yeah. I mean, I, I always been a hard worker. Like if I, you know, when I start something like I'm, you know, I'm in it, you know, I might be, you know, I might be hung over the next day, but like I'm, I'm busting my ass to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And so, you know, so yeah, I, I got a job in, as a financial advisor, <laughs> despite having graduated communications degree. My dad told me like, cause that's, that's what he started out. And I was like, I was like, I kind of like, you know, I'm kind of gravitating towards the stock market and stuff like that. But like, I don't know what to do there. He was like, it's sales. He's like, learn if you can sell, if you can sell something, you can sell, you know, that's what it's, that's what it's all about. So I got into, yeah, that's the direction I headed. And, but I started out like, when I got into it, I was like pushing mutual funds and like, this is like right, right when the bubble crashed. And then all these uh, mutual funds were loaded. Like they were supposed to be balanced, but they were loaded in tech stuff and people were losing their ass. And I was like, I was like, dude, this sucks, man. Like us, like, I don't want to be a salesman. So I really started studying trading and I actually really started trading. And, uh, yeah, and just fine. Talk, talk to the audience. Who's, yeah. Talk to the audience, the difference between a financial advisor and a trader, because there's a big difference, but most people mm. don't understand. Yeah, like for me, like I mean, things like things have changed. This was like twenty years ago, right? And I think it's you know, a lot of a lot of like uh, financial advisors do a lot of handholding, right? So it's basically like you know, they they help you set up a plan and help you invest money and like, but they're not like you know, they're not looking over your account every day and like, oh, you know, I need to rebound such and such. Nah, man, that's. BS. I mean, most of them are glorified salespeople. That's it, right? And they push what their organization tells them to. Yeah, pretty much, right? I mean, Merrill Lynch has got their stuff. Like, Jones has got their stuff. Like, you know, everybody, you know, everybody's got their stuff. So, I mean, if you're somewhat proficient with, uh, you know, budgeting your money and, like, putting some money away, like you're much better off. Like if you don't know anything about, you know, stocks is the best way to do it is like get in with like Fidelity or one of these like Vanguard, one of these no load mutual funds and like things have evolved. I know there's like a change, change traded funds and stuff like that now. So. Yeah, but, but okay. Yeah, go back to your, best, I didn't mean to derail. That's you. the best way to start it. Yeah. I just but, want people to understand the difference between a financial advisor Mm-hmm. And then a trader and just find quickly what a trader is. And we'll go back to your story. So people, know I mean, somebody who's trading is actually like actively trading your account. Right. I mean, they are, they are looking at the market. They are, you know, they're sitting on positions. They've got stop orders on, you know, the stuff they buy, you know, in case like, you know, the stock dips and they can get out, you know, this is this active, right. Your, your stuff is being managed. And so that's the direction that I started getting into. And then, but yeah, like I started making some money and I was also balancing, like I was also balancing that with, uh, I was also selling some insurance and stuff like that to, you know, as to be like the whole financial, 
you know, advisor for people. And so, you know, some insurance, some, some different insurances pay, pay a shitload of money. So, so yeah, that was giving me like cushion to trade on my own. And then I was trading other people's money. So, but yeah, just, I got, I started getting successful and then, uh, yeah, I found cocaine again and man, I was blowing my nose every night. It was, it was pretty ridiculous. And yeah, I got, and I got in to that the point, industry, I just couldn't. I'm sorry, well, I mean, I was alone, right? I mean, I basically, my dad has a, had an office. He was a, because yeah, I moved back to the small town. I started in Charlotte, North Carolina. Then, like, I just, I wasn't digging it. And I was like, Dad, I was like, I miss, like, I want to, you know, be home, man. We're, you know, near the beach. And so he's like, yeah. He's like, you know, I started this business in hopes that you or your brother would come and work with me. He's like, come on. So, yeah, I moved in. I was working with him. And then I got a place at the beach. And then I started working more out of the beach than I was in the office. And then I got to the point where I was just working out of the beach. And then I was just, yeah, with nobody with nobody to kind of check in with or be accountable to. I mean, other than the clients, you know, I was I was a. I was a wreck, man. I just really started getting into, I was just doing cocaine and drinking whiskey every night. And it was just, you know, and more, like I started, I was at the point where I was doing cocaine in the morning to like help me get going from, you know, drinking so much whiskey at night. And then the cocaine from the night before, it was just a vicious cycle. And I just caught myself and I was like, ah. I was like, dude, I'm, I, I finally realized like I was pushing myself to the brink and I, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die if I keep it up like this. And was and, it, was it accepted in that industry? Because that's a high, typically high income, high speed. Yeah, I guess. Like, and, I mean, none of the people that I like that I, that I knew did it because I mean, most of the people that uh, I mean, because I wasn't as, you know, when I got back into it. I mean, this was all, you know, I was bringing my experiences into, you know, into the where where I was, right. But the, a lot of the people, like my dad, like the two other people that worked in his office were like almost over 60. That's a bunch of old dudes, right? So accepted? No. But I mean, I guess like if you're in, if you're on Wall Street, you know, you know, up in New York and you're, you know, actually on the floor, like I've heard, you know, stories of those traders like on the floor, just like get smashed pretty much all day long, just to, just to keep that, you know to keep that level of intensity that they need to keep. So All right. for me, it was just, it was just something I enjoyed. And I just, I way, way overindulged. Not enjoyed. It was just, it was just one of those ways to numb myself. Right. Yeah. So now you're out of college, you're trading, you're working back with your father and his mm -hmm. team. And where does life go from there, Bo? That's yeah, man. I got, I got so deep and I was just, I basically like, I couldn't face, the whole I couldn't get out of the hole. I couldn't see a way out of the hole that I dug for myself. And that's where, yeah, I literally gave everything away. Like I said, I gave my the keys to my car to my brother on the way to the airport. And I was like, it's yours. I'm out, man. And everybody was like, what's going on? What are you doing? I was like, I'm, I'm just leaving. My dad's like, well, what are you like? What are you, are you coming back? Like, what are you like? What's going on? And I just literally, I just ran away, man. And where did you go to and what was that part of your journey like? 
I started in London. I had a friend there and he was like, he was, he had been in the military, but he was out and he was working with private, with a, like a public company in London, defense, some kind of defense company. And he told me, he's like, yeah, if you want to keep traveling, man, like, uh, you know, I know, I know people that teach English. And uh, so I looked into it and there was an English teaching, a program to teach English to foreigners in the Czech Republic. So I took that, I bought a, I bought a ticket to the Czech Republic, took that course, made some friends there. We, I mean, I ended up moving to Taiwan and that's where, yeah, I was, I went from a six figure job to teaching Asian kids to speak English for like $12 an hour. So. And then how was your life at that point? Were you happier or still sad? Where were you at? Nah, I was miserable, man. I was just like, you know, it was good when I was traveling. I was doing all the stuff like in Prague. Prague was insane. You know, I had a good, really good time traveling around in London. We did some road trips into Germany. When I got to Taiwan, it, you know, it seemed like everything was going good. When Actually, when we first got to Taiwan, I came with a friend who I'd met in that course, and he said, I helped him get to Taiwan, I'm, to here. I'm actually in Taiwan right now. And um, the first day we got there, we came to the city, and I was like, oh, hell no, man, I'm out. <laughs> he was like, he's like, dude, you can't leave me. Like, I got no money. I was like, dude, I'll sort you out, man, but I'm just, I'm leaving. <laughs> And he was like, no, what? Like, why? Why? Like, dude, I was like, you, you realize we just left Prague, right? It's like, it's pretty much, it's like a fairy tale. Like, there's castles, there's a river running through the city. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous, right? And then we get to like a city in Taiwan. It was a in the middle of the country, and it was just a bunch of buildings. Like, I was expecting like tropical country, palm trees, and it was like, boom, we got stuck in the middle of the city. I was like, nah. Uh uh, sorry, but the funny thing is, like, he left like a year later, and I ended up staying for a few more years before I, I left. And I left Taiwan after a few years and and moved and started moving around again. But and did you teach the whole time you were in Taiwan? Yeah, yeah. Well, I I started teaching, and then I met this guy who wanted to build a paragliding school up in the mountain, and. So he was like, yeah, we can build this. We can do like a cafe and like, you know, you know, do this English teaching cafe. And I was like, yeah, I'm in that. And so I helped him like fund the whole project. And then that went belly up. But it was that that was my that got me out of the city and into like a, an environment where I started riding a bicycle pretty often, which which ended up helping me get out of some of my stuff. The bicycle was very therapeutic. Ended up cycling around Taiwan, cycled through Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand. Later on, later on in my life, I cycled across America. So, yeah, I like it. That was where I fell in love with bicycling. Nice. Now, was that an intentional thing or it just... By nah, it just happened like a friend yeah one of the guys in the town that we moved to had a bike and he's like hey you want this bike i'm like not really he's like well i'm you know i i, I kind of need some money to go to i was like yeah all right man here's some money i'll buy the bike from you and i just put it in the basement 
And then after a few months, like uh, one of my another friend was like, "Hey, we're going on a bike ride." I was like, "Hey, I got a bike." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I go with you." And then that was pretty much it. That's what started it. Nice. So now you're going through a lot of life. You're kind of hiding and running, and mm. you're still working, and you're still functional, mm-hmm. but what was your average day? Did you feel angry? Did you feel lonely? Did you feel happy? What were you feeling those years? I was jittery until I had a drink. And then after that, I was great. So you were a full-blown alcoholic at this point. Oh, hell yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I was, yeah. If I didn't have a drink, I was, I was shaking. All right. And then you start traveling on your bike. And then Mm -hmm. how did you get back to the States? Did you leave Taiwan for good or just take a vacation? How did that work? No, I left. I left. Well, things, things didn't work out the way that I wanted to in Taiwan. So I left Taiwan. I moved to Mexico. I took what I did. I learned how to, uh, I became a scuba dive instructor in Mexico. Then I left there. I was going to go. And I went back to Taiwan to teach scuba diving. But then like there was no, that that industry is the tourism industry in Taiwan is not like what like it is in in Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia. Taiwan's like a really small island. It's kind of like a yeah, it just it doesn't have that tourism infrastructure. So no, anyway. when I think of Taiwan, the first thing I think of is the stickers made in Taiwan. So mm. are they big in manufacturing? Yeah, they are. They make a lot of stuff that we use back home. In fact, I don't know if you've heard recently, like the whole thing that's going on with China, like the China trying to reclaim Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only thing that's like, apparently, I'm I'm not very good at keeping up with the news, which is not very smart because they are knocking at the door right now. I mean, China is, but apparently the only the biggest thing that's keeping them at bay is that. The world, Taiwan houses the largest producer of semiconductors for phones and mm-hmm. whatever, whatever uses semiconductors. And they supply the world with those semiconductors. So basically, yeah. So there are a lot of other countries that are, you know, have, you know, kind of have Taiwan's back right now, you know, because of that, you know, thing. Which is a shame, right? Because you look at like what happened with Ukraine and Russia, right? So it's like basically like, all right, so Ukraine doesn't have anything to offer the world, so basically nobody wants to back them up, right? But you know, because because you know people's mobile phones are in, you know, in 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 jeopardy, you know, or their future, their next mobile phones in jeopardy, then like people got Taiwan's back, right? It's kind of messed up. Yeah. So it, the world, there's an old mafia saying, believe none of what you hear and half of what you see. Yeah. Right. And we're living way past those borders. You can't believe yeah. anything that comes across the propaganda of TV. Uh, um, it's sad. It's very sad. It uh, is, man. So let's get back to Bo's story. Not because I'm, I'm <laughs> people say, yeah, don't talk about, listen, people say don't talk about <laughs> politics and religion and really right. religion and politics are the most important things for our lives. And mm. then you have, you know, anything you say can will be used against you every day. We just got banned on social media platforms for stating our opinion. We right. fought it, we appealed it, and thank God we won. God changed yeah. their hearts. But yeah. um, 
it's such a cancel culture and it's such, you know, BS, like, you know, somebody's your enemy one day and the next day there, there are little angels that go to church on Sunday and sing hymns. And it's like, <laughs> you're such a piece of crap. And in the United I States, know, right? we got the worst administration of all time in the history of the United <laughs> States. And it's like, come on, you, you know, let's just, let's stop lying to each other. You have yeah. control. It's complete corruption. Move on. Taiwan, they want mm. semiconductors. China wants them. More power. Yeah. The rest yeah, of the yeah. world says, no, don't give them to China. Stop. Uh, it's all right. about money, right? Yeah, yeah, so let's, yeah. Let's get back to Bo. We don't need to solve the world problems today. Let's just help uh, each other <laughs> one story at a time. Uh, so <laughs> for our listeners now, you're traveling, you're doing this, you're still not happy, but you start getting involved in cycling. So where does this journey bring you, Bo? Actually, I mean, it took me, I ended up in, I ended up in Vietnam after a few more stops and I was working on an app with a couple of guys and I was also, man, I was working for this, I got a job working for this guy and his thing was like, I was, I was doing content, I was writing content and the, the guys that I was doing this app with were also part of the like web developing group. And so they brought me on board to help out with some of their, you know, the content for some of their projects. And so one of their clients they got was this guy who apparently sold his deal was selling containers, shipping containers to people to invest in. Right. So his thing was like, you know, the shipping companies do not, you know, they don't own the shipping containers and like, you know, we own the shipping containers and we lease them to the shipping companies. Right. And so I was like, wow, that's a pretty interesting business. So we were right. I was writing content for this guy's website, for his blog and everything like that. And then we found out like, like maybe three, three to four five months into the whole thing that the dude was, it was a Ponzi scheme. Like the dude, was, it was like, you know, the shipping containers do own the shipping containers. This guy was just like basically robbing people blind. And wow. so it, it was crazy. So we like, I had to, I had to walk away from that. I lost the, 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 the two guys that I was partnering with, like there was a huge blow up that fell out. The girl that I was dating, like it was an amazing girl that fell apart. Like I was drinking myself stupid. At that point I started sniffing heroin. I was like passing out on the streets drunk in Vietnam. And like, I called my brother. I was like, dude, I am, I don't know where I, I, I don't know what, which way's up. Like I, I, I can't, I can't seem to get things right. I don't know what's wrong with me. And he was like, come back, we'll sort you out and, uh, you know, we'll help you get on your feet. And let's see. So I did, went back and when, as soon as I got back and like, uh, you know, I was like, oh my God, what did I do? Like, I've just, you know, I, I was in Vietnam, was, you know, I was in a good, you know, I had things and I just threw, I just threw everything away. And so I was like, how am I going to get myself out of this? And I was like, well, what I, I'll, just, I'll start a website. And I'll ride my bicycle across the states and like, you know, because I like writing. So I'll just write about my experience and then I'll parlay into that into like being a travel writer. So that was my thing. Right. And I was like, all right, I'll do that. So I got like a crappy bike. And I rode across the country with a website and I exchanged reviews on my site for 
for meals and for like places that I stayed in. Most of the time I slept in a hammock on the side of the road. But yeah, I got, I got, I got to the end of the, I got to the West coast. I made it nothing materialized. And my aunt and uncle were like, like, come on, we'll, we'll, we'll help you get on your feet. And so I was staying with them and my, and I was, I was still doing content. I was writing content for people. And my aunt and uncle came in one day from the doctor. My aunt told me that she had breast cancer. And that case, at that point I was drinking about an 18 pack a day and I was drinking, I was drinking whiskey at night to go to bed. So I just totally knocked myself out. And after my aunt told me she, she had breast cancer, I was like, you know, here's this person who's like busted her butt her entire life, you know, done all the right things, you know, and she's got breast cancer. Right. And I was like, I have literally tried to kill myself multiple times and have not succeeded, you know, and I'm still doing it to this day. I was like, dude, you have got to stop. And uh, so that's I, like I swore it off. I was like, I said, I'm like, I'm done. I'm done drinking, and I pretty much stopped. Like that day, cold turkey, and I started meditating. I started just like consuming everything I could get. I bought a Kindle, and I just started just like, just sucking everything I could, you know, get my hands on, just jamming into my brain, trying to heal trying to get myself, trying to learn why I was in this situation I was doing, I was in and like how to get myself out of that situation. And did and, someone tell you, or are you just like, I just going to do this? Uh, you know, no, like, no, that was it. That was like, it's my aunt told me and I was just, you know, I had that realization. Like, I think that night I just like, just completely sauced myself. And then like next day I was like, all right, man, this is it. Like, you know, you, you've reached a, like you are, you know, look at what is in your face. Look at where you are. You're like in your you know, late thirties, you know, you're living with your aunt and uncle. Like you have nothing. You have absolutely, you've built nothing. You have nothing to show for the last 38 years, except a bunch of scars and, you know, funny stories. You know, you don't need any more stories, right? You don't need any more travel stories. You don't need any more, you know, dumb shit. You've done st stories, like get it done. And so, yeah, I just sat myself down and I was like, all right, this is it, man. And I started meditating and, uh, you know, that kind of pulled me through. I started reading Tony Robbins and Joe Dispenza and I started taking Mind Valley courses and just like every book that I could get my hands on and just like, just, just Dale Carnegie and you name it, man. I mean, literally, I just went through hundreds and hundreds of books self-help business and i could think that would help improve my life and then as you're going through that what was the transition like like you said you cut off the alcohol and drugs mm. cold turkey mm -hmm. but then where did you go as you're consuming knowledge where did you go professionally did you get a minimum wage job yeah i started yeah i started bartending and i saved up money and i was like you know Saved up money and I moved back to Vietnam. Like that left a bad taste in my mouth, like leaving Vietnam. I was like, you know, I felt like I got, I felt like I let the place beat me down. And I was like, I'm going back to own it. And I moved to a different place, but I moved to Da Nang, Vietnam. And same, like same thing happened. I didn't get, this time I didn't go back to drinking, but I went back and man, I was getting sick all the time. I was getting food poisoning. I got dengue fever. You know, just every like 
it was just every like I was almost every month I was getting like sick for like three four days and it was just it was it was debilitating and I realized that like looking back now I realized that you know me getting sick was one of the other thing was another thing that I used as a kid to get myself out of going to school or to get attention right I remember my brother got got his tonsils taken out and I got jealous because he went to the hospital and then like, you know, people were paying him attention. Right. So then I would fig- find my way to find a way to get sick. I remember rolling around and po- a friend of mine got poison ivy and he missed like a couple of days of school because he got poison ivy. I went out in the woods and rolled in poison ivy so I could get out of going to school. You know? So then, then, you know, as I, as I, as I moved away from the alcohol and I started, I started getting into uh, weightlifting And, but yeah, I was still finding ways to self-sabotage by like, by getting sick. Now, and quickly, on the side, before we go on, mm-hmm. you had sibling rivalry from your, the birth of your brother. Mm-hmm. Was he competitive towards you or he was like, Hey man, I'm just me and I love you. Like, what was that dynamic like? Yeah. My brother was real chill. I was the one that was, I, I had that like, you know, kind of aggressive, you know, I remember when we played, like when we played sport, he was, my brother was really good at basketball. I was really good at soccer. But when we would play basketball, I was actually like kind of roughing him up and pushing him and like kind of being a dick. And, but like, I mean, he was, he was, he was better than I was. And he would just kind of outschool me, right? And I would get, you know, I get ticked off when we played. Yeah, because he did beat me. So, but yeah, my brother, my brother's pretty chill. He, I mean, he didn't do anything to deserve you know, the way that I treated him. Um, yeah, that's what I was yeah. getting at. Was it bi-directional competitiveness or was it he's just him and you just had that? No, nah, I was just being a dick, man. Yeah. It was just yeah, it was me being a dick. So. All right. So now you're back in Taiwan. Yeah, I left, and... yeah, I left Vietnam and then I moved back. I finally moved back to Taiwan. So Actually, I do have a question. Where... When you were in the States... Uh-huh. Quit alcohol and drugs, cold turkey, mm-hmm. and then you became a bartender. Mm-hmm. That sounds so dangerous and counterproductive. Uh, uh, Explain that. Did you have moments of temptation, or were you no? Solid? No, I was. I was. I was. You know, I was resolved to like. That was it. Like I realized that, like you know, the drinking had put me in the place that I was in, and uh, you know, it was time for me to move on. And honestly, I did it for the money. I didn't think like I had just come from like, you know, years of teaching English and scuba diving and, you know, really like not making a lot of money. Right. So I mean, I squandered everything I had made in the past. So, you know, that was where my self-worth was like I was at the bottom. Right. And I was basically working my way up. In fact, like my first job when I was with my aunt and uncle was working at what was that place called? It was some kind of like athletic store. And I was basically like stocking shelves. And then I went to Bed Bath & Beyond. I was working the night hours, the night shift, like doing the same thing, stocking shelves. And then, then I saved us. And that took me like, you know, from one job to the next was like a few months. And then I leveled up and I got the bartending, what do you call it, certification or whatever. Then I started, yeah, then I started bartending and like making more money. And then I just started saving money like crazy. And it took me about... When after from the time I started bartending to the time I left, like six months for me to save up, you know, the money I needed. 
And my aunt and uncle were really helpful. I was staying with them. They had a huge house and they were, you know, they were on the edge of, of getting, of, of retiring. My aunt had already retired, but they needed help running that place. It was basically like a little ranch. So, you know, I helped them and, you know, I, I paid my dues, but, you know, but we were, you know, we were a good family unit too. We, we, we all worked together. They helped me out. I helped them out. It was really, and that was, that was actually a really nice experience having them and seeing, seeing the way they interacted. Because I, cause I parlayed that into the, the relationship that I have with my wife now. I'm now married. And I find, you know, spending time with my aunt and uncle was really nice because I got to see like a healthy relationship and how they, you know, how they function, you know, not just romantically, but like financially and, you know, everything and how they had built this successful unit. And for me, it was like, that was, those was, was a really, really important growth period for me. Now, you stopped drinking and drugs. Mm-hmm. You moved back to Vietnam and Taiwan. You know, you mm-hmm. moved around. Mm-hmm. And then you're around 40 at this point. Mm-hmm. Give or take a year or two. Mm-hmm. And you found cycling did help with, you know, helping you start to heal. But now you're meditating, you're reading, you're absorbing good content. Mm-hmm. And then where does that real change from, from that still emptiness in your heart? to being full and at peace transition yeah, it, us happened, today. it happened when so when i moved here i met the woman who's my, now my wife we met after i'd been here for a month here being and, in taiwan yeah yeah sorry in taiwan so we met like i'd been here for a month we met and it was like oh fireworks right from the beginning like and on our first date i actually told her i was like i'm gonna marry you never like thought like that kind of thought never crossed my mind before right and was um, she like this, a tourist? Was she a resident? No, no, she lived. She lived in Taiwan. And she was actually married at the time. So she was, and she was going through a divorce. And that's something I didn't know about. But, like, we found out. But it wasn't a problem. Was she, was, yeah, a lo- was, was she a local? Like, she was from yeah, yeah. Taiwan? Okay. Well, she, her parents are from Taiwan, but she, they, they moved to Brazil. And so she actually was born and grew up in Brazil. And then ended up back here like later in life okay so, so she had more of a culture a mixed culture yeah. brazilian portuguese yeah, yeah. And taiwan yeah yeah okay yeah, and she, you was have more, she was more portuguese than she was taiwanese yeah. okay so you meet this girl you didn't know she was married you guys start dating and then where yeah. does it go from there i just i was like as good as we were in our good times, I knew we were like fantastic. Like we, we we had our battles, man. And I was going through my stuff, and like she was just like she was she. I don't. I hate to say, at the beginning, kind of rode my coattails, like because you know I'm healing, and she's like, ooh, you know, this is this is this is the right direction I want to go too, right? So so I kind of pulled her along under my wing, and you know started showing her the stuff that I was doing and how I was, you know, bettering my life. And she was like, you know, her eyes opened up. She's like, Oh God, this is awesome. Like this is, you know, this is what I want to be doing too. And so we, we did it together and we pulled each other along and like, but we still, man, we had some massive arguments. Like, and they would just end in like me, like I'm out, you know, that was my thing. Right. Remember I'm, you know, I'm the runner. So I was just like, I'm running, I'm out, you know, and then we'd get back together and it was just oh, it was brutal. And, 
about two years ago, we had one, we had a big argument and I was, it was the same thing. I was like, I'm out, like I'm finished with this shit. And uh, we, uh, we ended up, we had a friend who's a Buddhist monk and she, we, we got back together, but we were like, look, all right, this is it. You know, either we have, we get some outside help or like, we got to go our separate ways. Cause like all the stuff we've been doing our own, you know, there's still so much underlying baggage that we are not hitting, you know, or we're not able to tap into, and, you know, connect with. So like, we need some help. I was like, all right, I'm cool with that. Like, you know, I'll do whatever. And so, yeah, this, this, our friend's woman, she's a Buddhist monk introduced us to this guy who does a program called the spiral. And it was a, put together by an Australian guy. And the first session, boom, blew my mind i cried for probably half a day i mean like you know not sniffing like damn busting like i'm, I'm surprised i didn't just like shrivel up and evaporate <laughs> it was it was brutal man but i finally realized like i was started making connection i was like you know and as soon as like as soon as i started doing this work it was like you know all the things that i had previously been blind to you know, the things that I had done to myself, the drinking, the running away, the, the way that I treated people, the things that I thought, all of those were like little bubbles that started popping in my, in my, in my field of awareness. And it was like, once those bubbles popped, it was like, oh, shit, I was doing this. Oh, my God, I was saying this. Oh, my God, I was thinking this. Oh, my God, I was doing this. And it was like, oh, oh, my God. Like, and then once, you know, once I started seeing that stuff, I was like, now, now I know what I was doing. Now I, now I can choose, now I can make different choices, right? And that just, just started lifting a veil of, of like, uh, like the curtains coming open in a, like a, uh, in a play or a stage, right? And it was like, whoa, okay, look at everything. Like, you know, this possible now. And from that day forward, it just, my life started just like, boom, boom, boom just started the the wheels started getting traction and like i started just sailing so what were some and, of the things what were some of those for our listeners that have already connected with you what are some of the truths that you heard that just opened your eyes to the reality of what's going on and why so you can move forward what were some the, of those truths the biggest thing for me that i realized was that was that i did not feel worthy Right. It was I'd like the punishment that I'd put myself through was that I thought I was a bad person. I felt like I was a bad person. I didn't feel good enough. So I was I was, you know, I was hurting myself. You know, I had trying to kill myself in car accidents. I had tried to kill myself with drugs and alcohol. And I, I tried I'd literally pushed away, you know, some beautiful beautiful people in my life. I had pushed away business. I had pushed away money. I had basically bankrupted myself on every, in, in every area of life that you can do so because I didn't feel worthy of, of those things. Right. Every time I became, you know, a little bit successful, I would, I would blow it. Every time I had a good relationship with a girl, I would like run away or f figure out a way to just like, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, I can't do this anymore. Blah, blah, blah. And I did that in every area of my life because I didn't feel worthy. And so under un understanding that, and then understanding the programs that I was running, you know, to, you know, to keep myself in, you know, in at the bottom of the barrel, 
was just like life changing, unbelievable. So, so for our listeners who are stuck in this self sabotage mode, mm-hmm. if you were to give just practical steps of, hey, you know, this is what worked for me, try this one, two, three, what mm-hmm. would you recommend to them, to us? <sighs> Be curious. Like, get out there. Like, I can tell you without a doubt, the work that I do now will change your life. Beat the addiction that I had. I can now have a beer, man. Like, and this is, you know, this, out of of all the things that I've accomplished, like, this is, that and the relationship that I have with my wife are, like, my two, like, gold stars that I've, you know, that I wear, I don't show them to everybody, you know, but I kind of wear on my sleeve. It's like, dude, I beat addiction. Like I was at a case of beer a day plus Jack Daniels at night. Like I was shaking when I wasn't drinking and I can have a beer now when I want, if I want, you know, my wife and I, this weekend, we had a, we had a little argument and we actually went out and we had a couple of drinks, something we've never done before in the five years that we've been together. And and it was just, it was just like, we had this new experience together and it was beautiful. Right. And then, you know, I don't know, I, don't, I might not have a beer for another couple of months, but it's just, it's, that's my choice. Now I get to make that choice. That alcohol does not own me. You know, the substance does not own me anymore. I can do it. So, so then you kind of had a mental shift where you're like, boom, no more alcohol, no more drugs. Mm. Mm. But for the first step for somebody listening, what would you say that is? Or does it tie back to finding that? Yeah, you've got like, for you know, if you if you're if you've got an uh, if you have an addiction that you're dealing with, then you know you've got to reach that point where you know you you take control, like you put your foot down and say no, right? Then after that, you can start looking into help. Right, because you will need help. You gotta have. You can't. You know, most people can't beat addiction on their own. Like I put my foot down, and like I was just, I was like, "That's it. Like I'm not gonna do it. I'm not putting myself in that position." And like you said, right? It's kind of strange that I started bartending, but I was like, you know, I'll like, I'm I'm very stubborn too. So I'm like, you know, you know, I I had no problem being in that situation, and like, and and you know, and saying like no i'm that's i'm not gonna do it right so yeah so let's go back then to your story so you go to this teaching mm-hmm. and the first experience is mind-boggling it's just mm-hmm. mind-blowing mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and you're taking it in you cry for hours the first mm-hmm. day where mm-hmm. does your life go from there and what happens to your wife as well yeah, well, things like things started changing. Like my my, I had an, in, an instantaneous shift, and in like in my and you know where I was and you know in life and what had put me in that position, right? And so you know things started getting better. You know, for me personally, are the two things that as I was going through the work, I was I was talking to the guy that's that's leading me through this work, and I was like, hey, man, like. You know, so we're uncovering all these emotions and we're moving these emotions and connecting with them. And like, so, you know, if I get to the the root cause of these emotions that led to my addiction, I should be able to have a drink again. Right. And he was like, 
dude, don't. I was like, yeah, but I'm, you know, I really believe like this is, you know, this is it, right? Because one of the first books that I read when I first started this, when I, when I started this journey was, it's called The Molecules of Emotion. And it's more of a biography, but the, it's written by a female doctor, Dr. Candace Purr. And it's basically like what, what really touched me about that book was that our emotions affect us on a molecular level, right? And so I didn't, I didn't know at the point that I read it, like I didn't know how I was going to make that connection. But I just knew that like that was like, that was my key. And when I found this work and it was like, and so that's when those, you know, that's when those dots connected. And I was like, no, and I was like, I told this guy, I was like, man, this is, you know, I believe like, you know, these emotions that I've been hating onto and that we're holding onto that we've, that I've stored, that we're finding and now, you know, and, and dealing with like, that's, you know, that's it. And he's like, I you know, still wouldn't do it. Well, I did it. I waited for a few months after we finished working together and like I had a glass of wine and then the next weekend I had two glasses of wine. The next weekend I had like half a bottle and I was like, I could feel that. I could feel it waking up in me again. And I was like, what we did was not enough. So I took what I had learned from him. I'd taken really good notes of the process. Then I used some other, some of the other stuff that I had been through to kind of piece things together. And I started working on myself using muscle testing, self-muscle testing, meridian, these meridian points on the body. Once you find these emotions to help you release the emotions, this, the AMO breath, the program that I do now is called AMO Ni. AMO in Spanish means I love, Ni in Chinese means you. I use two different languages because it's a blend. It's a blend of East meets West healing modalities. So yeah, we use that. And then on the, the end, we use neurolinguistic programming to like grease the wheels of attention and push the fir person further down the, their, their healing path. And I started putting this stuff together. And yeah, I finally got to the root cause of my, my addiction issues. And like I said, you know, I told you earlier, you know, I can have a beer now. Like, you know, my wife was dealing with food addiction and we fixed her as well. And we've working, you know, we work with other people now that have food addictions and, and also other addictions as well. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just life changing. This work is life changing. Yeah, man. As a friend listening to you, I mean, this whole show is about being real and transparent. Mm -hmm. I'm like that, the gentleman you were talking to at the beginning you know i'm like cringing inside like bo don't drink even casually just because yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. it's like you might be great now but you know a year from now you might be in a low and that drink does hook you and i think about mm. that bible verse you know wine is a mocker strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby is not mm. wise so like as mm. a brother and friend i'm like please don't drink don't don't chance it right <laughs> but if you feel like you have that victory that's fantastic and i hope you yeah, do yeah, yeah. i just I'm, nah, like, no, like, I'm the air on the side of caution guy i'm like huh i might be allergic to that i'll just never eat it again yeah that, that's yeah, how yeah. i am but uh, yeah so okay so between your birth and today I feel mm -hmm. like there's a section between where you're learning this and putting it together we missed. But mm -hmm. in your opinion, is there anything significant between your birth and today before we transition to where is Bo and where are you heading? 
Nah, I mean, we cover. I mean, yeah, well, you and I got deep, man. Yeah, we covered a lot of the a lot of the stuff, and I'm just now, yeah, I'm doing I'm doing this work now, and that's that's yeah, that's my next step. So good, man. Now talk about meridian points a little bit, and is there an exercise you can leave the listeners with so they can try, it, and if it works for them, they can contact you for more. Yeah, for sure. These meridian points they they correspond with different the different meridians on the body. So this is like a master point that we use to release the emotions, but then it's tied in with the muscle testing and like how we, oh. Oh, sorry. The majority of our listeners are podcast listeners. So just uh, so you know, Bo is okay. grabbing with one hand his temples. On yeah, his yeah, forehead. right. Just, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Right above the temples there. So um, that's the master release point. But then that corresponds with the, uh, with the, muscle testing which we use to find the emotions in the first place so i think one thing that i can leave you with for sure is like the the ama breath which is a breath that i developed when i was going through this work because as i was going through this work like one of the big things that like when we connect when we find these emotions that you programmed as a kid these traumatic instances. And the thing is with trauma, like, you know, most people, they hear the word trauma and they think like, oh, car wreck or PTSD from war or like, you know, a divorce or like, you know, a traumatic event, you know, to a kid can be like a butterfly landing on your shoulder, you know, and freaking you out. It can be, you know, it can be anything. It does not have to be like some huge monumental event. In fact, you know, the definition of trauma is just an emotional event, right? And so, our subconscious is using these experiences, these emotional events, these traumatic, these traumas that we experience, and it's and it's grabbing onto those reactions and it's programming them into our system. Right, our body is like uh, kind of like the ha- high school hallway, like your atypical high school hallway in like a like a movie movie scene, right? It's littered with lockers, but instead of books and papers, our those lockers hold our emotions and some people hold them in our in the in our leg some people hold them in their hips some people hold the emotions in their heart in their liver in their throat right within our different chakras like we put these we we store these emotions all over our bodies and these emotions you know like anger anger resonates at a at a at a uh, very high frequency like it's Whereas in love, love emotion has a more flowing resonance, right? And so, you know, when we're when we're holding on to these emotions, the those those high resonance emotions, you know, they actually you know, do damage to a body. They attract the attract the injuries and the and the 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 illnesses that we experience later on in life, and. One, in, I'll tell you one thing before I do the ama breath. Sorry, I got way off course there. No, I think but, that's good. I actually know exactly what you're talking about because, you know, a massage therapist will tell you they'll have people just break down on their table crying or mm-hmm. get angry or start sweating. I mean, they're mm-hmm. just getting a massage, but mm-hmm. it's not just a massage. They're actually digging into this tissue and releasing because we're mm-hmm. all made of energy. God made yep. us. and Exactly. When you're storing these emotions good or bad it's going to stay with you until you release them and that mm-hmm. what you describe that anxiety versus the peace the annoying mm. frustration yeah, yeah. versus mm. that just calm wave 
chill. It's, it's totally different. And, you know, the Bible talks about a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, mm -hmm. but bitterness is as rawness to the bones. And it's medically proven that if you're happy, you're less sick. And there's people with cancers are totally gone when they just start laughing and enjoying life again. So mm -hmm. what you're saying is in line with what I believe from learning over the last 45 years of my life and what I experienced firsthand. So yeah, keep track, keep going down that track. I think it's important for yeah, people man. to understand. I mean, the Buddha, Jesus, you know, Muhammad, like, you know, every single religion, you know, in, in our, you know, existence, you know, they all preach one you know fundamental thing, right? It's love, you know, love heals, right? You know, the funny thing is like, I'm reading a book right now by Dale Carnegie and I was, it was, it was recommended by, I was on an email, this email that I got from somebody and I was like, yeah, I'll check that out. I might be able to do something to use I can, I can use in, in my practice right now. And so I'm if you're asking which book Dale Carnegie's how to win friends yeah. and influence people. Yeah. This one is uh, how, how keep living uh, how and stop worrying. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. How to stop worrying and start living or something like that. Yep. And dude, it's this book is so, it's so, I was talking, I was talking to my wife about it last night because it's so amazing because this book was written 80 years ago. Right. And the things that he talks about that were happening in the United States 80 years ago are the exact same things that are happening today, right? And people are worrying about the exact same things. We might be driving, you know, Teslas and they were driving Model Ts or whatever they were driving in the 40s, right? But, you know, it's, but they are it's the exact, exact same things that people were worrying about. And the funny thing is there's one of these stories when he was in New York and they were, there were people going around, I think it was smallpox and they were like forcing people to get in the inoculations or whatever for <laughs> smallpox. Right. And it was the same thing as COVID. I was like, I was reading that. I was like, Oh my God, this is crazy. Like 80 years ago, they were going through exact same thing, man. Yeah. Yeah. They I, Dale Carnegie's books are excellent, but how to win friends and influence people is the, the staple. I think, you know, after the Bible and the books that really key into our inner uh, soul, right. And uh, our eternity, probably if not the top book on my recommendation list or one of the uh, top five is how to win friends and influence people. And what's crazy is he refers to God and Jesus through the, throughout that he actually says, I'm not a believer. My parents were, however, mm -hmm. every single thing he says ties back to the Bible's chapter and verse. And he mm -hmm. admits it always works. So it's like, I know whatever works is because of God, but that book, I try to read that once a year just to keep it fresh in my mind but the how to stop worrying, start living. I remember, don't they have some pages too? I'm going back. I haven't read that in about 10 years, but don't they have like workbook almost like pages where he's like, you know, make these lists, compartmentalize, plan for the worst thing you can imagine. Then everything else is icing. Isn't that some of the things he talks about? That yeah, book? yeah, yeah, it does. There are some of these lists. Yeah. And then at the beginning, he's like, you know, read, you know, read, you know, go back and read every chapter twice. And he's like very... And at the very end, there's a bunch of stories like with person, but he uses stories throughout the whole thing, right? So yeah, and you know what else? Uh, honest, just to finish this off, have you read Link in the Unknown by Dale Carnegie? No. Oh, uh, what is best, it, Link? Link in the Unknown. 
the the there's probably hundreds of books written on Abraham Lincoln, but uh-huh. there's like this three volume encyclopedia set that Abraham Lincoln's best friend wrote about him. Uh-huh. Who has time for that though? Right. Dale Carnegie researched Lincoln for a few years wrote Lincoln the Unknown and it mm-hmm. is a f- easy read phenomenal read but what a great book on Abraham Lincoln seeing yeah I'll definitely that check man, that out man. oh you should it's getting a copy is the hardest part but once you get it it talks about you know his journey and mm-hmm. how he even died thinking he was a failure and right. you know he had a psycho wife and it's just it goes through things that nobody knows about. Like it's just yeah. really great. Yeah, I, in the in the in the book that I'm reading now, he talks about like how Lincoln had to borrow money to get to his inauguration, right? Yeah, he, so he I was got like, in. What? Yeah, we could. <laughs> and and George Washington. Yeah, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and Ronald Reagan. I think are you know the three best presidents America's ever had. But uh, Abraham Lincoln is so intriguing because this dude was abused like in every aspect of life, yeah. and he you know, was depressed and he had issues. He wasn't perfect. You know, the civil war just got mm-hmm. even took his mistakes and used them for good. But like you said, he, he didn't have money. He struggled. Mm-hmm. He was poor. He, again, the Gettysburg address, he went to his grave being made fun of by the media of what a terrible speech that was. And it went down in the annals of history in every country as one of the greatest speeches <laughs> of all time. So it just shows you forget anybody's the only opinions and opinions that matter are God's and yours. Yeah, Everybody exactly. else is icing. But I okay. Agree. So I didn't mean to derail you, but you got me excited. I love Carnegie. I love Abraham. Nah, I love it, man. Yeah. I love it. So you get, you're reading this book and you were talking about the meridian points and then you were going to mm-hmm. transition into yeah the ama breath right yeah 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 the, the ama breath so the ama ama in spanish means i love and so as i was going through this work and you know, i was i was uncovering these emotions like when you like it's like you said with the massage table right like when you hit these emotions and when you connect with them and move them dude they move right and, you know, for me, one of my biggest ones was anxiety and it, it was crippling. Like I've seen people, you know, you've seen like people on new like on TV shows or movies or whatever they, you know, they're, you know, the whole, you know, typical, like, uh, was it breathing a bag, you know, breathing a paper bag thing. That's how anxious I was getting as I, as I was going through this work. And my wife, uh, she went through a Reiki course. As the same time as I was doing this, as I was going through this work on my own. And so she would help me with, she uh, put her hands on me and like help me, like help me calm down with Reiki, right? But I was getting to the point where I was almost kind of relying on her to help me out. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be a burden on her because it was, I was also feeling like really really weak and vulnerable right and 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 i didn't want to you know i don't want to be crawling to my wife oh can you help me out i can't you know i didn't want to be dealing with that so i i wanted to sort this stuff out on my own but i didn't know how and so as i was doing this stuff and like you know all the stuff that i'd learned and read and like started connecting and i was like you know i was thinking about i remember one day i was clearing some stuff and what a loving state that i was in and i was like love 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 the answer i 
and then I just I started making sounds and then next thing you know this ama breath and I started like I started going through it and I was like whoa man this is amazing and I started doing it as I was doing my clearings and I was like I was like whoa man this is like really cleans me out so ama like I said in Spanish means I love so it's literally a breath of love and it's we the breath is done through the way that it's spelled. So it's A-M-O. And so the A in AMA, what we do is we visualize like white light, like loving universal light. You can imagine, you know, the hand of God coming down and, you know, touching your head or, you know, hearts from heaven flowing down or whatever, you know, whatever works for you, right? It's just imagine just love and, and compassion pouring down on the top of your head. Down th through your throat it into your chest so and that sound is as it's coming down the second part of the breath is the m so which is yeah the, and we that is a uh, represented with a and that that hum actually stimulates the vagus the vagus nerve right? Which is another emotional reset in and of itself, right? So we're using the vi visualization of the, uh, the breath coming down, then the, the hum, you know, stimulating the vagus nerve. And then with the O, we imagine that breath like shooting out. Like when I was a kid, I think I'm probably about 10, 15 years older than you, but we had the Care Bears the cartoon and these like little bears would like shoot out love or luck or whatever it was from the chest, right? Yeah, they each had a symbol and a special, special. Yeah, word. okay, you know, you know. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so that's how that's how we do it. We imagine we imagine that light that's come down and cleansed and cleansed our heart center, and then pouring pouring out of our chest. So the breath looks like And funny enough, the a the actually the a part of it, like most people, you know, when they meditate, do the um, um. But I was talking with another guy on a podcast about a month ago, and he said he interviewed this guy who was saying that the actually because of like the polarity shift going on with the Earth right now, the ah the ah sound was more was more beneficial than the oh oh the o sound. So there's that too. So anyway, yeah. So that's yeah, the man, I'm I I think anything in balance again lines up, you know, false balance mm -hmm. and combination of the Lord. So too far mm -hmm. left, too far right. That's crazy. God wants mm -hmm. balance, right? Mm -hmm. But there's something with the energy and there's definitely something with the sounds that mm -hmm. help you. I don't understand mm -hmm. it. And like, like what you just said, that guy, you need to understand polarities and the earth and the moon. I mean, I know there's something <laughs> to it. Right. But I'm not going to go so deep. That becomes my God or my religion. Mm. And when it comes to this, though, I know I've experienced where I've just tried to, you know, meditate and meditate just means just sitting still. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Focusing, pushing away the thoughts that mm. come in your head. They're going to come in, mm. but just try to push them back out. But yeah. like, if you don't understand it, the way I understood it was the antithesis. Have you ever been in a room where like the fan above the stove is on? Or you're in the bathroom and it's on and you, you don't like it, but you don't really pay attention to it. And then 30 minutes later, somebody shuts it off and you're like, oh, 
like you feel relief, you know, every yeah. human's probably experienced that. Right, well, right. that relief shows you that sound can cause you discomfort. Mm -hmm. And you have the music, you know, you put a plant next to classical music, it grows and it leans towards a speaker. You put the <laughs> this plant next to rock music, it freaking dies and goes yeah, right. the opposite direction. Yeah. So there's a hundred percent something with sound and frequency uh, I, and energy. I just don't understand it all. So uh, anything else, Bo, between your birth and today, or just life tips or skills, things people can try at home before we transition to where you are and where you're heading. Mm. No, I think that's it. I think the, the AMO breath, like, you know, you said you talked about doing meditation. Like if you do the AMO breath, you know, rewatch this uh, the last uh, couple of minutes and re-listen to it, do the AMO breath. Actually, there's a, there's a link on my website for the free training for the AMO breath where I talk about some more advanced techniques too. But if you do that before meditating, and if you go to my website, actually it says, a hashtag meditation takes too long. I am a big proponent of meditation. You know, the work I do just is a lot faster. But so, yeah, if you do the AMO breath before meditation, it'll put you in a state of bliss that will blow your mind. Man. It's just so, I guarantee you'll have the best meditation that you've ever had after you do the AMO breath. Good, man. So, Let's do this then. We'll put links in the show notes and then we'll make sure that if somebody's, whether they're on Apple or Spotify or on our website, they can just check the show notes and click and go. But where's Bo today? Where are you headed? What's life like as of today, right now? Man, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm finally enjoying life, right? I'm just, I'm building this, I'm building a business where I'm helping people and I'm using like, you know, the funny thing is like, I have basically 40 years, you know, I'm 46 now, 40, I'd say 40 years of just heartache and pain and, and suffering that I can now like that were my, you know, my coal, you know, that were being compressed and, 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 and formed this diamond that I now have to be able to help other people and show other people, you know, the way to get through it all. And it's a, you know, you know, that is such a beautiful realization that like, you know, that, that what I went through was not in vain, right? That, that I can now use that and like help other people. And it's just, it's beautiful. And I think like another thing, like just recently, I'm just, I'm just constantly learning and, and, and using, and I'm so aware now of like my surroundings and the experiences that I'm in. I'm learning now. We, we got a dog about six months ago, and I'm learning more from this little dog about uh, about life and how to you know how to how to interact with not with the others and this little dog. It's amazing. I grew up. My dad, you know, if the dog peed in the house, he smacked it with a, a newspaper, right, and yelled at the dog for you know peeing in the house right or if the dog was barking you know same thing take a newspaper and smack the dog and you know you know that's how you train the dog right so like you know the first couple of months that we had the dog that's that's what i thought you did and uh, anyway so the dog's been barking a lot and she's been been not you know not behaving i guess the best the best that we would like so we bought this course on you know taking care like you know training the dog and the the, the the dog the thing that she's barking at the thing that she's you know that's uh, that's unsettling her it, it's trauma 
the dog is going through the same thing that I've been through. Right. And then I'm just, I'm, I'm making her trauma worse by, you know, smacking her. Right. And it's just like, Oh my God, you know, how did I just, how did I overlook that? And so now, you know, the dog gets a little bit antsy, you know, we love the dog, you know, we give her some trees and like, boom, it just, just dissipates. And like, it would literally within a week, our dog has gone from being, you know, barking at everything and going crazy to like, now, you know, the energy that I'm bringing to the dog is of an energy of love and, and, and uh, compassion. And, the, you know, the dog just runs up to me, starts barking and just, just licks my face. It's amazing, man. That's awesome, Bo. So if yeah. someone wants to get a hold of you, what? Let's actually, let's do this too. Mm -hmm. Who are the people that you feel you can help most? Like what's, what's, what does that look like? That profile and how do they get a hold of you best? The best way, well, yeah, the best way is the website. Like, if you are, like, if you're lost, if you feel hopeless, if you feel like nothing you do is right, if addictions are crippling, crippling you, like, there are emotions that are attached to all of that, and we can we can release them. We can find them and we can release them. And not only can we find them, I can teach you how to do it on your own. So you are in complete control of your life and, you know, what, and, 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 you know, you are your own healer, right? I think over the last, I don't know, century, probably plus of like really good marketing, we've been, we've been, and okay, I would not be here if it was not for, like modern medicine, the pharmaceutical industry, right? But having said that, you know, you look at the process that happens when you get sick, right? You go to the doctor, he writes you permission slip that you take to another doctor and then you get the, you know, the, the thing that's supposed to heal you, right? Well, like, you know, we have that power, but we've given it to the pill, to the concoction, to the, you know, to the syrup, to the, you know, shot or whatever it is, right? I mean, there are instances where, you know, we do need modern medicine, right? But like, you know, to run that direction every time that you need, you know, you can heal yourself. It is possible. So, yeah. That's awesome. I, and I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, there's a place for everything. We go back to that balance, mm -hmm. you know, there's a place for diet, there's a place for exercise, there's a place for herbs and, you know, essential oils. And there's a place yeah. for radiation therapy. There's a place for everything. But yeah. if we keep in balance, we'll probably never get to that sick place. I've, I've been critically ill for years on uh, two different things, but it lasted for years. And really mm -hmm. when I embraced it, accepted it, felt love and joy, and then everything turned around, you know, you God, go. God helped me get that better. And I mean, I had a legit, I had a tumor in my head. I had an infection oh. in my tooth that was killing me and poisoning me. So, I mean, I had legit medical things and right, thankfully right. I had the medical science, the doctors to help me get it right. Mm -hmm. however cutting out dairy cutting out sugar you know being more mindful of what i was putting in my body that mm -hmm. took surgery on the tumor surgery on the tumor radiation therapy to tumor shrunk 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 and now 25 years later i'm super healthy right mm -hmm. so it's right. like there's a balance you know if i just went holistic i would have died if i just went mm -hmm. medical i would have died but that balance god showed us 
kept us alive. So if you're out there, you heard Bo, you heard his story, you heard what he can offer. So reach out to Bo, check out the show notes, go to his website, and hopefully we all thrive, thrive together, thrive individually, and all thrive to the glory of God. So Bo, thank you so much for being on the show today, brother. Yeah, Dave, you got you got another minute. Another minute? Yeah, man. Yeah. Look, check this out, man. So, all right, I told you about my my accident, right? Like, I didn't go into a lot of the details of that car, that first car accident, but man, I wrecked my body. Like, and one of the things I crushed my knee, right? And so I've cycled a lot and I'm doing a lot of stuff, you know, athletically. I could just, I could never run again. And really, like the last couple of years, the pain in my knees just really got just just brutal. And so what happened was recently I found the knees over toes guy. Have you seen that guy on YouTube? No, I haven't. Okay. So anyway, he's, he's, he's doing this protocol to help people with knee pain. And I was going through his work and like, I, I'm like what this guy's preaching. I'm like, I'm totally dig with this. Like I've, I've, I've zeroed in. And I'm like, I know this is like what he's teaching is working. Right. He's got a lot of success stories and it just, you know, it just, it just really resonated with me. But the thing is like, I wasn't, I was getting, I got to a certain point and then I was not, I was not able to make progress. If about two weeks ago, my wife and I went on vacation and we did a lot of snorkeling. Dude, when I, when I was snorkeling and I was, you know, finning, you know, I, uh, my knee pain, like the next, that night was like diminished by half. So anyway, I I came back and I started doing, uh, started doing, basically going out in the ocean and just finning for like an hour and unbelievable, man. It is completely transforming my knee pain. So yeah, that's I just something I wanted to share. Like if you, you know, if you're going through, uh, if you've got any knee pain, like first of all, check out this knees over toes guy. And then second of all, like if you need some, like a supplement for that, like finning, yeah, using scuba fans. I got, these bodyboarding on a, what do you call them? Boogie boarding fins that I strap on my feet and just like kick, man, kick for like an hour. And it just, it's really physically it's probably of the things that I've done, you know, on a physical level, this is like one of my top three to really level myself up. Yeah. And it's crazy too, because medical science and pharmaceuticals want you to think you can't be healed yeah, because they want to make money. Yeah. That's of course. It. Right. Drug you yeah, up. You're not Yeah, healthy. You're not, you know, you're not, you're, you're worth nothing to them. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's a sad reality. You want the truth. You go to God, you want the truth on earth. You follow the money. And yep. those, those are hospitals that they're building that are 50 stories and brand new. Those aren't cheap. They're being built with our cancers and blood. So anyways, what you're saying though, Bo, is true. We regenerate. Our body's made to regenerate. It's proven. Mm -hmm. Some things take seven days. Some things take seven years, but our mm -hmm. entire body will regenerate. And I think you just said it. And I agree. I know in my personal life, being a human guinea pig, mm -hmm. when you're injured, the common thought is rest. And the common like daughter is going to tell you to rest. But mm. I found like, yeah, there's a rest, but again, a balance. Mm. When you push yourself and you exercise and you push through the pain, you always come out better. So by mm. you working an hour scuba diving, 
by medical science standard that should have irritated the knee and inflamed it and caused all these issues when really you're like, damn, I haven't felt this good in years. I so know, it's like right? our bodies are built for challenge to thrive, mm. to, to be worked. So work, you know, I, I had a ruptured disc, two ruptured discs in my back. And wow. I was told by, I think it was like three doctors and massage therapists and chiropractors. So probably like eight professionals. I needed uh -huh. surgery. Right. Never had surgery. Pushed nice. through it, stretched, deep tissue massage and ice. I found the combination that worked for me. And even though I haven't worked out since 2018 and I'm chubby and fat, I have don't have back issues. You know what I mean? And yeah, a yeah. few times like I've had a spasm happen in recent years, instead of sitting there or laying down or icing or taking muscle relaxers, I don't do any of that crap. I mm. force myself, even if I can't stand up straight to get on the elliptical and I move and I move and right. I move and that your body just recenters itself mm. and then you can ice it and then you can get deep tissue massage. But I am a hundred percent with you, brother. Just that's move, awesome, man. Move. What well, goes back to what we were saying earlier, right? About you know, be curious, right? You know, if, if you're, you know, if you're, if whether it's a physical thing or an emotional thing, whatever it is, like be curious about your own health and like put that in your hands. And when you do, like you know, that's when like you know, miraculous things start happening because you, you know, you take you you literally take that power back, right? And you put it in you, right? Yeah. I mean. You look at like when, you know, when they do like these pharmaceutical trials, like the, the placebo is, is more effective than the actual drugs in like 70% of the cases. Right. And why is that? Because that's where the hope is. You know, people put their hope in that pill. Right. So they believe it's going to work. Right. Same thing. If you believe like what you're doing is work, it will work. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, my hope is in the Lord. And I hope as you and the listeners, we can all have that joy and that peace and that deep down just satisfaction but man i'm totally tracking with you like <laughs> if you've got issues going on search be curious figure out and die on your own terms mm -hmm. listen if you're gonna die do it your way you know like i've had <laughs> twice i've had twice when i was 18 to 20 mm -hmm. and then when i was 2007 to 2010 they told me to make out my will and get my affairs in order so like i said i wasn't sick for like a couple of weeks it was years right wow. and i got to the point where it's like forget this i literally did everything opposite the physicians were telling me and that's when i started getting better it's not you know you have i had some really great physicians and they were amazing yeah. but for every one excellent one there's eight mediocre probably seven mediocre and two terrible and mm -hmm. I mean, they were telling me, don't drink coffee. I don't drink coffee. So you know what I started doing? I started drink drinking coffee. coffee. <laughs> and I'm not joking, dude. Everything like that. All these things are like, do this, don't do that. I'm like, okay, fine. So I just did the <laughs> opposite and then I started getting better. <laughs> so, oh, wow. And have you ever tried eating? Oh, hey, since we've derailed, but the show, our audience. No, go for it, listening. man. Yeah, I love have it. Have you tried it. eating a half a banana before bed? No. What does that do? Dude, I stumbled upon it about a month and a half ago. I put a little YouTube video together. And basically, I noticed that when I eat a half a banana before bed, I sleep deeper and more restful. So then like <sighs> I was playing with it. So then I start Googling it. It's all over the Internet. A banana is a natural like sedative. It's a natural relaxer. Da, 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 da. And you, you get the potassium in it. So this is something that's known. But if you go to the doctor and say, I have trouble sleeping, 
They're like, here, take this drug, take this drug. And uh, I just literally was using a banana and I feel fantastic now. Like I sleep. Dude, if I was in the same room with you right now, I would kiss you. I swear to God. Like I've been, I've been trying to like, you know, get my sleep thing down. It's been, you know, off and on, off and on. And like, actually last night I did, I woke up at like one o'clock and then I couldn't, you know, then I woke up again at three and I was like, ah, what's going on, man? And I've been dealing with, like, I've been battling that. Try it. Try, get it. <laughs> Try it. And we'll do a follow-up episode and, sh and put in the link in your podcast. See, how did Bo do with a banana a day for 30 days? And we'll, we'll I love that it. Yeah. And I, even like I have a tear supposedly between my bicep and my shoulder. And it mm -hmm. was a mess. The arteriogram was just like, like everywhere to die. But, but I just, I don't want to have surgery. I asked the doctor, I'm like, Hey, if I totally tear it, is the surgery worse? I'm like, Nope. Same surgery. You're just in pain. Like I can live with pain. Pain's temporary. So yeah. this has been year, like a few, couple of years now. I stopped working on 2018. So it happened in like 2017. Uh -huh. And anyways, I even noticed that the pain between my bicep and shoulder the last six months has been hurting in my sleep. I think I'm tensing. Mm -hmm. And as I'm tensing, it's, it's causing that to stimulate. Soon mm -hmm. as I started doing the banana, whoosh, gone. Whoa. So, and I'm literally just, I'm going to bed eat it half a banana or I'll throw it with some ice cream, which is probably right. not good for you. That's why I'm right, fat. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, but no, man, that half a banana has been a beautiful blessing to my life. So hopefully you and the listeners can try yeah, it. Thank you so much for passing that along, man. That is like, yeah, I've been literally something. I mean, I've done like magnesium spray. Like we've been, uh, I've been trying to like, you know, limit, you know, what time, you know, what time I uh, eat my last time, last thing I eat, the last thing I drink, you know, just to make sure, you know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not uh, sleeping, not because I'm getting up to go to the bathroom and stuff like that. And it's just. Yeah. Routine yeah. is huge. And mm -hmm. doing, there's so many things you can do. We could have a whole show just on tips for sleep. Cause oh, I sure sure. sleep my whole life. So I've really, but the other thing too, is people. I gotta be careful how I say this <laughs> because I don't want to advocate something and cause someone harm. Right. But a few years ago, I was in Italy and I smoked a cigar, uh -huh. slept like a baby that night. But I thought it was mm -hmm. just the situation. Right. Then I get back to the States and it just so happens I'm with a business colleague and he's like, hey, you want to smoke a cigar? I'm like, I just smoked the first one I've ever smoked at 43, <laughs> might as well. So right. I smoke a cigar, slept like a baby. So then I'm having a moral and intellectual dilemma. Uh -huh. I'm like, what? Cigars are bad. Cigars are evil. Blah, 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 right, blah, right. blah. So then I start thinking, who do I know that smokes cigars? And oh, brother. Michael Jordan. Well, no, everybody I know that smokes cigars are the most balanced, like personally, not even just on TV. Like right. they're the most balanced humans I know, very wealthy typically. Mm -hmm. They're like kind, giving people, and they're healthy. You know, you, the, the World War II, the oldest living World War II survivor just recently passed away. It's like 115 or 116. And he smoked 15 cigars on average a day. You know, George, George Burns, remember the old Oh, yeah, guy? George Burns, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cigar. And you go through Stallone, Rocky. Now, again, they're so rich, they can buy new parts. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I start researching it. Now, cigarettes, 
toxic. No. Two, yeah, two, yeah, of course. 227 chemicals per stick on average, known uh, carcinogens, known cancer causing. That's trash. Vaping, even worse. Vaping mm. is leads and metals and chemicals, all stuff to make you sick and addicted. Total trash. But a cigar, it's 100% tobacco. Tobacco is like a banana. God made it. There's nothing added. So long story short, I started experimenting and researching it. And my blood test came back better. I took blood tests before and after. Uh-huh. When I started smoking cigars, you know, I wouldn't say regularly, yeah. but more common, I got healthier. And then, you know, my mind. and you don't inhale it. You right, right, right. It out. So yeah, like yeah. the worst thing, and I put stuff on social media and Facebook. Do you personally know somebody that smoked only cigars that got cancer or some form of disease? Mm-hmm. One person wrote back and said, I had a police. He was a police officer. He had a police chief in New York that died. I think he was like. You know, the average lifespan is 70 to 75 worldwide. Uh, and I think he said he died at like 62. But he said, to be clear and honest, those cigars might have gave him an extra five because he had such a high stress job in life. Right. So so I'm just going through. So I'm like, I'm going to try it. So God forbid my, I get, I say this and someone gets mouth cancer or I get cancer. You know, I don't want that to happen. But I'm telling you that in my life, it's had nothing but benefit to me it relaxes me, it calms me. And then on top of it, I got to be very careful. A physician friend I know and their spouse saw the change in me. Mm-hmm. I told them about it. They thought it was bull crap because they're just programmed with medical science. Yeah, 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 right. They tried it. Now they both smoke cigars as well. And they got mm-hmm. off their damn pharmaceuticals at night to help them sleep. Dude, this so, is like so I can't, crazy, you, I can't talk for everybody <laughs> and people are like, Dave, what's wrong with you? But listen, I'm just telling you the truth. This is what I believe. I could be wrong. Either I'm right and you're wrong. Either you're right and I'm wrong. Or we're both wrong and God's right. But we need now, to see it. Here's the thing with this though. Like this blows my mind because like, you know, the, now the way my life works is like, I, you know, you know, I put, you know, my, put my intentions out there and, and I'm just drawn towards things. Right. So the other day, my wife and I were, we were out riding around and I was like, I was like, I don't know why, but like, I've been having like this uh, desire recently to, to smoke cigars. There you go. And she it- was like, she was like, what? I was like, I know it's the weirdest thing. I was like, I just, did you know a cigar store here in town? She was like, yeah. But I was like, I was like, I don't know why. Just like, I don't want to start smoking again, but like, I don't, I don't, I'm just drawn towards cigars. And then to have you tell me that, I was like, oh my God, that's crazy, man. Yeah, you gotta, we gotta schedule a 30 or 45 day follow up and we get to talk about bananas and we'll name that the episode, you know, yeah. Bowen, Bo Dave, bananas and cigars. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> and we'll, uh, I'm going to the supermarket to get my bananas and then I'm going to go find that cigar store today and I'm yeah. going good both. And get something, and that's the thing about cigars. You can get something that's inexpensive, but it's still pure. The key is just buying pure tobacco. Don't buy the cheap ones that's colored paper, and they put chemicals in those too. Get a nice cigar. You can buy them online, save a bunch of money once you find something you like. 
but mm-hmm. get something mild because you're starting out not more than medium mm-hmm. and then you'll start figuring out what you like and what you don't like but last thought globally if you ask anybody what are the best cigars in the world what's everybody say cuba okay cuban you know why i researched and researched and researched it it's because cuba has the highest highest volume of lithium in their soil so what's lithium used for lithium helps sleep right depression sleep they used to prescribe lithium so the soil content in cuba has the highest lithium on the planet so when you smoke a cigar that's why it feels so good now you can still get a cuban cigar and you don't like the flavor but the actual soil is absorbed into the tobacco leaves you have a more beneficial response so oh, yeah. there's the thing. If you always want to know what, what makes Cuban cigars special, yeah, there's tons of things. But bottom line is the lithium content in the soil. And you have people, even famous preachers like Charles Spurgeon. You know, he uh-huh. suffered with depression. I've suffered with depression my whole life. And he said one of the greatest gifts of God to me is a good cigar because when I'm feeling down, I smoke it and it just helps me to relax. So people have been trained in America. I don't want to speak for the rest of the world like tobacco evil, tobacco evil, tobacco mm-hmm. evil. But think mm-hmm. of it like this. Weed was terrible growing up for our generation. Mm-hmm. And I still, I believe weed is a gateway drug, right? But there mm-hmm. are some medicinal benefits. Mm-hmm. But the government said weed evil, weed evil, weed evil for years. Yeah, Once yeah. they could monetize and control the supply, now yeah. weed's the wonder drug. Yeah, Everybody exactly. should have weed. You'll cut <laughs> exactly. your arm off, no problem. Smoke a joint, it'll grow back. Just buy it from our dispensary, <laughs> right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. listen, I'm try a banana if you're listening to me all over the world. Try a cigar, maybe pray about that one, but it really <laughs> did work for me. And uh, let me know how it goes. Write some notes in the show notes in the comment section. And uh, Bo, me and you need to do a follow up in 45 days or 30 days. I'm doing it. I'm down with that, man. Let's do it. Yeah. All right, man. So thanks for being on the show, ladies and gentlemen. We love you. Hope you enjoyed this enter- episode, not just for entertainment value, but for things you can apply to your life reach out a bow for myself for help. And if you do decide to smoke a stogie or to eat a banana, let us know how it works out. We love you. <laughs> Have a great day. And we'll see you in the next episode. Ciao. And thanks again, Bo. Thanks so much, Davis. I really appreciate it, man. This has been awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, I know it's just been a few short seconds, but to Bo and I, it's been 30 days. So at the end of Bo's remarkable episode, we talked to you about the Bo set bonus episode, Cigars and Bananas. So right now, Bo and I are going to be hanging out and just talking about his journey the last 30 days about bananas and cigars. Bo, how are you today, brother? I'm great, man. How are you today? Man, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We had a great episode. We had a great episode and our listeners just funneled right into it. They don't know what's gone on the last 30 days of our life or your life. But when we finished the episode, we were talking about how sleeping helped me with by eating a banana before bed and cigars helped me before bed. And you said you're going to be a human guinea pig and try it. So how did it work for you, brother? Well, I've done it for the last 30 days and I will continue doing it for the the foreseeable future the bananas i'm i'm feel pretty sure that the bananas had a definitive impact on my sleep and not just my sleep but it was like my dreams 
Like my dreams, man. As soon as I started, I was at half a banana, right? So I was eating yes, half I do a, a half a banana, but if they're small, you know, hold one. Yeah, yeah. So I did a. Yeah, I've been doing a half one too, and so it. Yeah, man, my dreams just exploded because I guess beforehand, maybe that's. I mean, that's why I was so tired all the time because like grim sleep is like that's your that's when you dream, right? And that's that's your restorative sleep, right? Yeah, the REM phase. Yeah. 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 Okay. So. I don't like, I don't ever remember dreaming for like such a long time. And then boom, man. So like the first night I took that banana, I like woke up the next morning. I was like, dude, I was fine <laughs> last night. Like it was amazing. And yeah, it just kept going. And the cigars, I think like as far as sleep, I'm not sure, but I tell you like the cigars have been like a beautiful nighttime routine. And I've never, you like you really got me to appreciate you know cigars and like the you know the natural form of tobacco without you know all the nasty crap that the cigarette companies put in it right yep and it's just the, the way they wrap it the the tobacco like you know the hand the craftsmanship that goes into making it and like when you're smoking a cigar you sit there and like you just I, you know i've never been somebody like you know if i drink a beer like i drink a beer like i don't like i don't sit around and like you know swirl it around in a glass and sniff it and like try to figure out what kind of floral scents it's got and stuff like same thing with wine or anything else like i just I, if i'm hungry i eat if i'm thirsty i drink and but with the cigar it was just it was really a big just it, it changed my perception changed the way i appreciate things and in, very, in a very short time. And so, yeah, it was actually, you know, it was picking out the cigar, like smelling the cigar, cutting the cigar, like putting it in my mouth before I lit it. And then, you know, my wife was in, she was, she was down with it too, right? So we both got into it and like, it became like our, it has uh, became, it has become our nighttime routine. And we, we both would get out there and we're like, you know, we, we light it up and we smell it and we, we, Toke on it and you know just like the smoke and like we talk about it and like oh this is a good one this one's it feels like it's uh, tastes like it. and it's just it's a it's a beautiful nighttime routine man every kind of uh, we had also gotten into a phase recently i haven't owned a tv in ages man like when she and i moved in together we, she had a tv and even then we didn't watch it but like i guess this summer we were watching a lot of netflix and the last month like we got off of that which is nice because nice. i'm not i'm not a big tv person but i mean some of the shows you know you get in those series and they're a little bit like they'll, they'll pull you in right yeah oh yeah you can spend the rest of your life watching television and actors mm. pretend to live so mm. you're at home watching it they're pretending and nobody's living life it's mm -hmm. like today's today's generation of the movie wally -E, right yeah. um but man, I'm so glad to hear that. So ladies and gentlemen listening, Bo and I are not doctors. We are not mm -hmm. playing doctors on TV, right? Mm -hmm. We are just telling you our experiences with bananas and with cigars. Mm -hmm. And Bo, man, yeah, I'm just going to go through it. The bananas, same thing for me. I sleep better. My body wakes up more rested. The dreams are more vivid. 
and, and medical professionals don't tell you about it because they can't sell you pharmaceuticals and you don't come back for more, right? <laughs> they don't make any money selling you a banana, yeah. right? <laughs> and Chiquita, Chiquita, what the heck, man? You've done a crappy job marketing. You got a whole campaign right here. I um, know, that's huge. Remember when we were kids and it was like, you know, milk does a body good. And then like, you know, then, you know, milk comes from a cow, which has five stomachs. So it's like, it's actually not that healthy for us, but like, Dude, you're right, man. Chiquita needs to get on the whole marketing thing and like totally yeah. jump on that. You got these products that really don't help and it it is complete BS and they sell it to you and you believe it. And there's other things that God made like a banana. Grab one right here. If you're watching there on you YouTube, go. right? Two there bananas. So this is to me a small banana. So, you know, it fits in my hand. So okay. I'll eat probably one of those at night, or if it's a big one, I'll eat, you know, half of one, mm -hmm. but that's it. Ladies and gentlemen, try it. Give it seven days. Don't even give it 30 days. And unless you're mm -hmm. allergic to it, it's helped bow and I. So at least two for two right here. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the I would cigar. say, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 Go, go, go finish the bananas. I would, yeah. I was just saying like, you know, when, you know, it's, it's not a, you know, you're not going to sleep. Yeah. You know. Well, here's the thing. I slept good. Like, I used to sleep like one night out of four nights. And I and the, the one night I slept was kind of like, it was still kind of crappy. I've gone sleeping three nights out of four nights. So good. So it's, you know, it's not, a, it's not the end all be all, but like from to flip from one, like I flip from one extreme to the other. So it's, it's, it's been really, really nice. So, and the thing is like when, the nights that I'm not sleeping, I'm actually like, ah, oh, man, you know, I went to bed a little bit too late or I drank, you know, uh, I drank, I drank a glass of tea too late or something like that. Right. So it was, uh, there were the ones that I could count on, like, or the dog woke me up at like four o'clock in the morning barking. So, you know, but, you know, I would say the, they definitely like, definitely have changed my, changed my sleeping. No, no doubt. Yeah, 37 cents, man, or whatever it is, wherever you are in the world. It could be two cents, could be three dollars, but still, it's so inexpensive and it's so natural. Yeah, it really it's is. good for you. And then now when it comes to cigars, again, some people smoke a cigar before bed and they're wired. Me, mm -hmm. it totally chills me out. But like you were talking about, Bo, you slow down and you appreciate it and you shut off the TV and you and your wife are sitting there talking engaging mm -hmm. in communication and laughing and looking at the stars i was just out this week and over the weekend and we were at a place and you know you those times you get like antsy it's like ah okay i'm enjoying the live music but i'm ready to go well when you got a cigar in your hand it just kind of slows you down and you 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 take more time and you appreciate things so i'm not mm -hmm. telling people to smoke and get i hope to god you know they don't get sick i don't get sick but man, I just, from natural tobacco, vaping, terrible. C mm. Cigarettes, terrible. Dipping, mm. terrible. But actual cigars. Mm. And I just can't see a problem with them. So God forgive me if I'm saying anything against you or leading people down the wrong path for health reasons. But it's brought nothing but benefit to my life. And it sounds like it's brought some benefit to your life. And I know friends, some are physicians. 
And they started smoking after they saw the results I had, and they had the same results or better. So That's awesome. it's just like, it's one of those things that don't knock it till you try it. Right. I agree. I agree. Charles Spurgeon has suffered with depression. I, I struggled with depression the last few years. And he said the best thing gift from God he's ever had is a good cigar. Cause nice. it just really helps. So that's, that's it, awesome. Bowman. On your journey the last month, me and you could talk all day, but for the listeners, any other parting advice, any other thoughts or anything else about the cigars, about the bananas or any other life tips before we take off? Yeah, I think the thing, is, one more thing on the cigars is that like, you know, cause this weekend, it was on a, like, I, I just saved it. I saved the cigars for the night, but then it was a weekend this Saturday, I believe. And uh, my wife and I had a good time and we were down at the beach and then we came back up and I was like, Hey, I'm going to get my, I'm going to get my cigar. Right. And I was like, oh, you know what? I'll just fire it up and like, you know, smoke it on the way down. Right. So I'm, I'm got a little a scooter that we drive up and down to the beach on. Right. And I was like, I just smoke it on the scooter. Right. And uh, you know, so I did that. And then, you know, I was, I was smoking, I was like, on the scooter and like, you know, it, it was just, it took away from my enjoyment of it. And like, I think that's the, what, like what I've gotten out of uh, the whole experience the most is like, like really like, you know, not trying to fit, you know, like fit everything in, you know, and I was like, mm -hmm. cause the cigar has become my nighttime thing. And it's like, and it really, forces me just to focus on that one thing right and as i was going down the as i was going down the mountain back down to the beach and i was smoking a cigar i was like smoking i was driving and i was like you know worried because my wife behind me I was, I was worried about like blowing smoke in her face and and like the experience was not wasn't even the same and i was like okay i don't want to do that again yep so yeah it was just like it really reframed my perspective on things in such a short period of time so yeah man i'm glad you had that experience and for the listeners who are thinking about it or might want to try it, it it's not something like a cigarette is terrible for you i want to keep saying that it's poison it's toxin the only thing worse than cigarettes is vaping vaping is just mm. insane you're vaporizing toxic chemicals to put in your lungs cigars you never bring them past your mouth okay but when you what you're describing i've had the same experience you know if you're trying to work or you know build a fence or you're trying to drive somewhere it's not like a cigarette it's not to to have a habit it's not to you know to have an addiction to it cigars are relaxed and chill and personally because i never want to be addicted to anything I will not smoke when I'm angry. I will not smoke when I'm like mega stressed because I don't want anything in life to be a crunch, a crunch. Mm. I just want things to be enjoyable. So I'm tracking with you, riding the scooter, thinking about traffic. Oh my, you know, you don't want to be rude to your wife and blow smoke in her face. I can totally mm. see how that does that. But if you and her are sitting down at night and you're watching the stars and you're talking, it's just a great, compliment to whatever you're doing then and i think that's the experience really you've had right uh, yeah big time yeah man well that's it bo once again it's been thanks, a true pleasure we yeah, love man, you brother to you again. yeah thanks for hanging out with us and ladies and gentlemen please subscribe to bo's channel and my channel on youtube like this podcast and not just so we can get famous but so we can reach more people share this 
if we can help you, please let us know. And if you have an experience with a banana or a, or a cigar, not the Bill Clinton kind, but the actual using it for your health, let us know how it turns out. And we wish you all <laughs> the best. So I'm Dave Pasqualone. This is Bo Bissette. Bo, thanks again, brother. Thanks, David. The Remarkable People Podcast. Check it out. Remarkable People Podcast. Listen, do, repeat for life.